Now, the last time we left off speaking from 1 Corinthians 11. And uh, I, want to, I want to develop that a little bit further as we speak about oneness. Uh, here in the matter of covering, Scripture is speaking about the power of the woman who is submitted to the rule of the man. Again, I, I emphasize, we must not get away from this context. This is not about men and women generally. I know that in America we've had, we've had a culture that's been developed around um, Judeo-Christian uh, references. Um, but indeed, absent a clear understanding of the kingdom, these Judeo-Christian references have created a culture that has been put upon what has always been a secular society inasmuch as it's never been the kingdom of God. So whenever people hear the teachings of Scripture, there is um, a, a natural sort of gravitation toward applying the truth of Scripture to human secular society, human godless society. The Constitution of the United States is not a divinely authored document. The, the fashion of rule, the fashion of the establishment of government and the functioning of government and the accountabilities of the judiciary uh, in government are not divinely inspired. They're not. They claim to be uh, based in the authority of the governed, we the people. Vis-a-vis -vis the kingdom of God, the governed never have authority. The king does. So the United States, although it has, uh, it has been tremendously influenced by the religious beliefs of its citizenry, which religious beliefs have largely embraced uh, the Bible, but not the Bible as revealed, the Bible as domesticated, where anybody uh, with the ability to read may simply read it and come up with a religious idea, which, by the way, is protected under the First Amendment. But altruism in the belief in the right of citizens to, to hold any religious belief they would choose and the power of the Constitution to give them the right to do that does not equate any serious or meaningful understanding of God and the ways of God and the Kingdom of God. And we've run a course now for nigh on to 250 years in which this nexus of culture and governance um, has produced understandings that are going through serious review at a deep level 
nationally. And we're finding a secular people who are in the majority saying a pox on your religious houses. And the religious people are arguing that we're in a cultural war and they're right, we're in a cultural war, but it's the culture of Christianity in American society that's at war with the culture of secularism in American society, but the kingdom of heaven is not imperiled by this cultural war. It simply means that a nation is shrugging and throwing off the yoke of religious beliefs that it has had to struggle with even when it didn't believe these things particularly. This doesn't have a thing to do with the kingdom of God. I promise you that the fall of these religious leaders and the rise of political opposition uh, in all of its forms, abortion, homosexuality, um, prayer in public school, all the things that have been touchstones for the religious right and for the evangelical church, they have nothing to do with how we understand the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and its purpose has always been to present the invisible God on visible view. And church isn't that, never has been, and America is not about that. It hasn't been hostile to a religious view, but I promise you when the kingdom of, of heaven is actually preached, it will be hostile to it. So what I'm talking about in regards to husbands and wives and women and men, if you hear them in the cultural mix, the cultural stew of American religiosity, these are hard things to, to, to agree with. And in fact, I'm not, I'm, the le I'm not the least surprised that a secularized population will reject these things out of hand. But if one is going to know God, if one is going to fulfill the purposes of God, if one's going to walk in the kingdom of heaven, there is this mystery that is being revealed. Christ is being revealed. Christ as a mystery is being revealed. The kingdom of heaven as a mystery is being revealed. The citizenry of the kingdom of heaven as a holy people, as a sanctified people, these terms are being revisited and, and, and uh, redefined so that in, in this people by whom these, who give meaning, the proper meaning to these terms, in this people we can see God. We remain the hope of the nation, we remain the light of the world. And the fact that a secularized nation is convulsing and rejecting a religious culture doesn't bother me in the least, nor does it alter or change even microscopically the truths about the kingdom of God. Now, submission, the sign of authority on the head is this. It says, um, for a man indeed ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. 
for man is not the woman for man is not from the woman but the woman from the man so he goes back to how eve was taken out of adam and right back into genesis chapter 3 right back into ephesians 5 for this reason a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels now when an angel showed up in the garden that's when the trouble of man started. When the angel showed up in the garden, he challenged the authority of God. And the ones who were subject to that challenge, the ones who had to deal with that challenge, were a husband and a wife. Where the wife was created out of material taken out of the husband. Where the husband had already said, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. They were the ones facing the challenge that this angel presented. Similarly, the last Adam would face a, a challenge in, uh, in the wilderness, a sort of garden in a way, um, a barren one, but in the wilderness the Son of God who was carrying the bride in himself and who would be by the wounded side uh, make a way uh, for the reconciliation of God and man uh, upon, his, uh, upon his death and certainly upon his resurrection, he would be challenged in this garden in a manner reminiscent of how the same character, Satan, came into the garden to challenge the woman and the man. So a woman in the presence of the angels is a fixture in Scripture. Now why should the woman wear a sign of authority? Because when she has no authority, in creation, since the woman is the type of the body of Christ and since the one who has overcome the evil one is Christ, then only in Christ can there be the possibility of overcoming the evil one. That's, that's what this is saying. It's not talking about whether or not the woman knows the scripture and may cite the scripture. It's talking about actually having authority. The woman has the authority of Christ when in her role as a wife, she models that submission to her husband. Now, what is the reciprocity? What is the reciprocal behavior of the husband to the wife? who submits to the authority of Christ in the husband, conferred to the husband. By the way, where does the husband get his authority anyway? Is it just because he's man? Because he's male? Nonsense! This is delegated authority, God distributed authority in creation for the purpose of representation. 
for the purpose of representation. We go off the track when we try to equalize man and woman in creation as would be pleasing to human society, but when we do that, we adopt a different model than a representational model. Why am I harping on representation? Because the the entire structure of divine authority functions by representation. Representation means there is a relationship and the relationship, the, the character of the relationships have already been predetermined. You can't make up the character of these relationships as you go along. The woman is a type of the church because God said so. The man is a type of Christ because that's what God set up. A man or a woman acting outside of the authority of Christ, outside of this model, has no authority in himself or herself. It's representational. Now, as I said, the woman may pray and prophesy, same thing as what a man may do. But the difference is she's required to show because of representation, she's required to show that she is under covering. And the reason is the woman has not been given in creation the representational authority to overcome the evil one. Christ has been given the authority in creation to overcome the evil one and He has. So the one who represents Christ, the husband, has that authority in in as much as it was conferred for the purpose of representation. The woman who can only overcome in Christ, and that would be all of us, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. If I go up against the enemy on my own, he will overcome me. But if I go up against him in Christ, Paul assures me, and my own experience in the practice of this, is that I am strong, I'm able to overcome. So everyone who clothes himself in Christ as the bride of Christ, male or female, has the authority of Christ. But but woman was not given the same role of representation in creation as as woman. Woman was not given the same role of representation as man. What then are the respective roles? In Christ, there is the representation of the sacrificial love of God. God does not require the church to lay down its life for Christ. It requires the church to obey Christ. Now, if in obedience one's life is required, then so be it but it's not a designated role that we lay down our lives for Christ. 
we should prefer no one over Christ in the fashion in which a wife should prefer no other than above her husband. But the husband is required to lay down his life for his bride in the body of Christ, which means he puts her before himself, always. Why? Because this is the model of Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. So the emphasis here in the representational model regarding the husband is the demonstration of love, the full and complete uh, unsubstituted for version of love. It's the model of the new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. Again, I, I hear in the, in the chambers of my mind, I hear the echo what if the wife is rebellious and all of that? Look, this is the reason that we judge things. We bring it into the light for judgment so that the existing problem may be corrected. The idea is not to foster rebellion or sullen uh, rejection of authority or divorce, that's not the idea at all. The idea is that the help may be provided so that this representational model might be fully realized. That's the idea. The fact that we have a secularized church means we have no way of correcting this model when it, in fact the model typically starts out on the wrong foot. It's what we end up having to try to remediate as opposed to raise, raising men and women with the understanding of representing Christ and the church from within the home and family, which is another of the set pieces of the three set pieces we spoke about, husband and wife being one of them, uh, father and son being the other, and the, the other being master and slave who are to submit to whom and for what reason. So the husband in his representational model of Christ represents the display of the great commission, the new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. He invites the wife to be one with him by laying down his life for her. Now love, as defined in the scriptures, is not primarily a romantic thing. Love is not primarily um, an emotional uh, behavior. Love is quite intentional. Love knows exactly what is required of it and does it not out of duty. You cannot love perfectly out of duty. You cannot love perfectly. You cannot love as God loves out of duty. It has to be your nature. 
God doesn't love because He has a duty to love us. God commended His love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's not about duty. You can never command love in its perfection as described in the new commandment out of duty. There is no legal formula that may produce love as duty. Love is by definition the most spontaneous and the most complete statement or the most complete condition of vulnerability that may exist. It is the quintessential expression of volition, of your will, motivated by your desire. That is love. God is love. The husband loves the wife in the fashion in which Christ displayed the love of God. It was God's love that was on display when Christ died for us. He yielded His body to God to accommodate the love of God on display on the cross. So when we see Christ on the cross, we have the purest expression of the love of God. The husband is meant to picture that in the world via the body of Christ. You're not unconnected from the body of Christ as a husband who puts this form of love on display. You cannot. It has to be empowered by God Himself working in and through you, putting this love on display as He did in Christ. So that's why He lays down His life for His wife. That's why everything He does is intentioned to present the wife as who she is, holy and blameless. That's why love is patient, it's why it's kind, it's why it keeps no record of wrongs, it's why it rejoices in the truth, doesn't doesn't, uh, rejoice in evil, it's why it never fails. These things are not descriptive of fleeting emotions which are primarily motivated by sexual desires. Sexual desires are appropriate and appropriately expressed within the context of marriage as part of the showing of physical oneness leading to the joining together and becoming of one spirit. All mature love in the body of Christ between husband and wife inevitably reaches the summit of spiritual oneness. It may begin in physical oneness, but it should not remain there. For indeed, the complete expression of physical oneness can only be attained when spiritual oneness has been attained. Then the existence of spiritual oneness informs the kindness, the gentleness, the tenderness, the consideration of the sexual union between a husband and a wife. 
Such love never fails. Such love moves beyond competition. Such love is attractive and beautiful altogether in all of its facets, but that's what God intended. We follow the world in our understanding of sexual love. And so the church, people in the church barely ever get beyond physical attraction. It's not one or the other, it's the whole package. And it's attainable because that's what God intended. And it is the complete picture. Now, what does the woman represent? And and by the way, the leader of this, the one who leads in it, in all the forms of love, is the husband. The husband. Husbands, love your wives. What then is the representation of the wife? What is the bride of Christ? What is the representational model? Well, in the beginning it was said that she was, for Adam there was no fitting helper to be found. Helper here has been also described as fitting helper, help meet, M-E-E-T. It's the old English word which means appropriate. Well, God gave man the designation of the father of the race. Ab is the term for father. God gave man the designation of the father of the race, but He only gave him the sperma from which the race comes. He needs the woman if his destiny has any chance of being fulfilled. Now the woman is not merely the womb man. She is as involved in all that of his fondest, dearest hope of continuity in the generations, for without her it can't happen. And in the fashion in which this happens, there is a submission of the woman to the process. Otherwise, no submission, if the act takes place, is called rape. There's a voluntary submission. Why? Because the woman sees herself as being one with the man, a fitting, appropriate, helper. So the biblical notion of the wife is not primarily about dress up and parties and romance. It's one who volunteers her person to carry the seed, making herself vulnerable for the entire duration of the process, including giving birth to the race. Now, again, you may view this from a purely carnal, secular, worldly perspective of the separateness between man and woman. 
and say, well, she's no more than, than a womb. No, to do that you miss the whole point. A man cannot be what a woman is. And all that a man may be after the first man and woman were created, all that the human race became was meant to become, including its divine destiny, depended on the woman and her willingness to see herself joined to the man. No, she has every bit of a stake in this as he does and may be credited equally because hers is an indispensable role in accommodating the purposes of God in the human race, not merely the seed of man in her womb. Always have to go to the next level, see it higher, see it more, see it from the divine perspective. We have been so humiliated and brought down by the fall that the memory of what is true is barely present among us anymore in human society. And it's only in the sound of the voice of God in the earth again that we're reminded of the noble and grand themes which once were the foundations of both the divine intention and our inheritance in God. Wife and mother go hand in hand, like husband and father go hand in hand. They are irreplaceable designations, designations in creation that cannot be substituted for. The man may not be what the woman is, the woman may not be what the man is. But in this togetherness, starting with the oneness of their flesh, graduating to being of one spirit and one intention in bringing forth the purposes of God, we begin to understand what God had in mind to create a man in the image and likeness of God using marriage as the primary launch pad for that. I'm Sam Solon. We'll talk more about these matters. Blessings. Bye-bye.